Welcome to City Church. We are a biblically-based, relationally-driven, spirit-led church, encouraging everyone to follow Jesus, grow together, and serve others. We're excited to share this sermon with you today, and you can always find out more about us online at citychurchseville.com. Well, this morning's sermon is entitled, Jesus' Call to Discipleship in the Kingdom of God. Jesus is called to discipleship in the kingdom of God. And before we stand to pray the Lord's Prayer together, I just want to remind us again as a church that we are biblically based, relationally driven, and spirit-led. Biblically based means that we believe that the scriptures are inspired by God. It's where we get our rule of faith and conduct from. Biblically based, relationally driven, if you do a cursory reading of the Newer Testament, you will find out instantly that the message Jesus brings, part of it is, is that relationship is the most important thing in life. Relationship with God and relationships with people. So biblically based, relationally driven, and spirit-led. Spirit-led has the simple understanding that God, through Jesus, has sent his spirit into the world to help us live out what we learn in scripture and to help us in the relationships of our lives. How many of you know you need God's help in the relationships of your lives? You know that? Turn and look at the person you're thinking of right now that you need God's help, right? And so what we find is is Jesus' call to discipleship in the kingdom of God covers these three things, biblically-based, relationally-driven, and spirit-led. Would you stand with me as we pray the Lord's Prayer together? Now, if you've been at City any length of time, you know that for the past two years, we've done one thing, look at the kingdom of God. What is it? How do you live in it? And Jesus, in the very center of the Sermon on the Mount, brings to us the kingdom prayer. It's not just an example of how to pray, it's actually the prayer of the kingdom. And so what we're going to do now is we're going to pray it out loud together, and I want us to notice as we're praying together how many plural pronouns there are in this prayer. And while we're praying it, I want you to think about the people around you. Every time you say the word us, or our, I want you to think about the people around you. Are we ready? You ready? All right, let's pray the prayer out loud together. This then is how you should pray. Our Father in heaven, holy is your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth in Charlottesville as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread. And forgive us our debts, as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. Turn and give your neighbor a high five, fist bump, handshake, hug, (laughs) greet one another. Jesus' call to discipleship in the kingdom of God. What we're going to look at this morning as we look at the kingdom of God, this is kind of one of the standalone messages. But obviously, it deals clearly with the kingdom of God. And what I'm going to do this morning is we're going to read more scripture than we normally would. And we're going to take a look at how discipleship and the call to discipleship in the kingdom of God happens in Jesus, specifically from the gospel of John. 
So in John chapter 1, again, we're going to read a lot of scripture this morning. In John 1, 35 through 46, we learn how the whole thing started, how it all began. And so as we read this, I want you to picture yourself being there. Here's what the text says. The next day, John the Baptist saw Jesus coming toward him and said, Look, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. This is the one I meant when I said, A man who comes after me has surpassed me because he was before me. I myself did not know him, but the reason I came baptizing with water was that he might be revealed to Israel. Then John gave this testimony. I saw the Spirit come down from heaven as a dove and remain on him. I myself did not know him, but the one who sent me to baptize with water told me, the man on whom you see the Spirit come down and remain is the one who will baptize with the Holy Spirit. I have seen and I testify that this is God's chosen one. The next day... Day John was there again with, his, with two of his disciples. And when he saw Jesus passing by, he said, look, the Lamb of God. And when the two disciples heard him say this, they followed Jesus. In other words, they're going, well, why are we with you, John? If this is the dude, we're out. And the text tells us, turning around, Jesus saw them following and asked, what do you want? They said, Rabbi, which means teacher, Where are you staying? Come, he replied, and you will see. So they went and saw where he was staying, and they spent the day with him, and it was about four in the afternoon. Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, was one of the two who heard what John had said and who had followed Jesus. The first thing Andrew did was to find his brother Simon and tell him, we have found the Messiah, that is the Christ. And he brought him to Jesus. And Jesus looked at him and said, You are Simon, son of John. You will be called Cephas, which when translated is Peter, which is the second best name in the entire Bible. (laughs) The next day, Jesus decided to leave for Galilee. Finding Philip, he said to him, Follow me. And Philip, like Andrew and Peter, was from the town of Bethsaida, and Philip found Nathanael. And told him, we have found the one Moses wrote about in the law and about whom the prophets also wrote. Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. Nazareth, can anything good come from there? Nathanael asked. Come and see, said Philip. What we discover is the call to discipleship in the kingdom of God is around these two simple phrases. Come and see. Follow me. Come and see. Follow me. You see, when I met Jesus, what I was explained, what was explained to me was, Pete, what you need to do is pray this prayer. And I did, and I'm not saying that this prayer isn't part of it. But I have prayed a prayer to accept Jesus as the Lord and Savior of my life. But I want you to notice that is never mentioned once by Jesus. What does he say? Come, see, follow me. Come and see, 
follow me. And again, it's not that the prayer isn't part of that, but in this call to see and to follow him, you get the clear sense that it is far more than a prayer. It's going to be a journey, a quest. Now, if you're sitting here and you hear those words, come and see, follow me, and through your head kind of goes this grand adventure, if you do, you're getting the point. It's like the hobbit and the Lord of the Rings or something like that. That's literally what this is. I want you to notice also that when Philip meets Jesus, the first thing he does is recruit someone else. And rereading again, notice what that looks like. Philip found Nathanael and told him, we have found the one Moses wrote about in the law and about whom the prophets also wrote, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. Nazareth, can anything good come from there? Think about the town that you know of that you don't like. Anyone want to say it out loud? You can read Philip's or Nathaniel's Philip's mind. It's like Nathaniel goes, ah, there's nothing good there. But notice what Philip said. Come and see. Why did he say come and see? Because it's exactly what Jesus had said to him. Come and see. But we also notice that Nathaniel is right. I'm sorry, Philip is right. You would notice right away that he goes biblically based. What does he say? This is the dude that Moses wrote about and the rest of the prophets. He's biblically based and relationally driven. Do you catch that? He starts with scripture and says, this is the guy. And then he goes to bring others. Now, come to see, come and see, follow me, Sounds pretty easy until you try to do it. And what you'll discover is in the Newer Testament, when you talk about, and Jesus talks about, and the other Newer Testament writers talk about, when they talk about making the decision to follow Jesus, to come and see, and to follow him when he says, follow me, when you do that, the Newer Testament says, it's like going from darkness to light. It's like going from death to life. It's going from the kingdom of the world and how it functions and how it operates to going to the kingdom of God. And oh, just so you know, that kingdom you're leaving, its entire engine is about opposing the kingdom of God. And so that transition, that's not easy. I know what it was like to experience that as a preteen boy. I said the prayer, Jesus, be the Lord and Savior of my life. I committed my life to him. Nobody really explained the come and see, follow me portion of that, but I kind of hacked my way through it. It was tough. It wasn't easy. Another metaphor that the Newer Testament writers use for this come and see, follow me, is that your citizenship goes from being a citizen of the world to a citizen in the kingdom of God. Now, some of you may not be aware of this, but I became a U.S. citizen when I was 13. One of the primary drivers for doing that was I got an entire day off school. 
And when I heard that, I said, I want to become a U.S. citizen. Now, my story is quite simple. I was born in Vancouver, British Columbia, Canada, and at the age of a day old, my mom, my, my adoptive mother, flew down from Prince Rupert, British Columbia, Canada, where her and my dad, adoptive parents were. My oldest brother, Fred, is natural to them. They had already adopted Scott, and now they were adopting me. And my mom got on a flight, and she flew down from Prince Rupert to Vancouver. She walked into the hospital. She showed them her driver's license. She signed a little form, and they handed me to her in a basket. That's literally how sophisticated it was. It was like, here, you can have him. And so I went there and lived in Prince Rupert till I was about a year old. And then my father, who was in the pulp and paper world, took a job in the United States, and we came to the U.S. So at the age of 12, my dad said, listen, you can become a U.S. citizen. I said, what does that involve? He had to memorize a few things, agree to bear arms to defend the United States of America, and you get a day off school because you go before a judge and get sworn in. I said, I am doing that. So we did. Now, here's the thing, though. My citizenship from Canada to the United States of America was barely a blip on the screen. Speak the same language, cultures hardly even different, all different. Now, last Sunday morning, we fanned out all over our community for what's called CityServe. And the place that I've chosen to serve ever since we started CityServe is I go to this neighborhood called West Haven. And in West Haven, there's a lot of immigrant families that live there. And so we went to West Haven. We've been doing that for many of these city serves. And I went there in the spring as normal. And in the spring city serve, I met a group of kids. We went door to door and we invited them to come out. And there was several kids that came and um, you could tell instantly they weren't from our culture. The girls all wear the headscarves. The boys are dressed very differently. They stood back at a distance. They really didn't come in too close. And that was last spring. This fall, last Sunday, when we did City Serve, I went to West Haven, and there was this one young lady. She's about the age of 10 or 11. And when she saw me, she lit up. And she was one of the ones that stood off to the side last time. This time, she came up, and she came right over to me, and we began to hold a conversation. And I asked her what her name was. She said it. I, I really can't pronounce her name. I said, well, tell me what it means in English. And she said, it means thank you in Pashtu. I said, well, guess what? I'm going to call you thank you. So from then on, her name between me and her was thank you. Anyway, we kind of begin to chat a little bit, and then I realize she's kind of the de facto leader among all of these immigrant kids. She's not the oldest, but she's the de facto leader. So I would guess she's about the age of 11, and I began to talk to her, and she said to me, she said, I remember you from last time. I said, yeah, it's good to see you again. So we hold this conversation, lasted about 20 minutes. And at the end of the conversation, what was absolutely stunning to me was she was completely brilliant. Her heart was wide open. Physically, she's this absolutely beautiful young girl and completely engaging and filled with confidence. And just, I used a word. She didn't know what it meant. She said, what does that word mean? So I defined the word for her, and you could tell she was logging in in her brain. And so that got me to the final conversation we had after about 20 minutes. And I said to her, thank you. Um, 
I have a question. I said, how long have you spoke English? Here's what she said. She said, I moved here two years ago and had never heard English in my life. And she was speaking fluent. I mean fluent in two years, in two years. And I said, what's that like to go from where you were to coming here? And she, didn't, she didn't, really didn't answer the question. So what's it like when you're a citizen of the mountains of Afghanistan among a tribal people and you speak Pashtu and someone puts you on a plane that you've never been near in your life and they put you on a plane and fly you halfway around the world and dump you in, in a small little enclave of townhomes called West Haven in Charlottesville. What would that be like? Well, to her, you know what it meant? She learned to speak the language. She was bright-eyed and excited and happy and engaging, and she loved introducing me to all of her friends. It was powerful. Fran will tell you, I came home from that event, and I must have talked about thank you five times in that. It just blew my mind. You could take a little girl who is probably eight years old, put her on a plane, and in two years, she's mastered the language, she's killing it in school, and you just look and think, how in the world? Listen, that's what it's like to go from darkness to light, from death to life from the kingdom of this world into the kingdom of God, let me tell you, it is a complete different way of doing life. That's what it's like. But you know what's really cool? There's this thing called IRC and International Neighbors and these other groups that have gathered around her and her family and they've helped her. It's powerful. Now listen, when we think about discipleship into the kingdom of God, what we must understand is that the transition is as drastic as that. It's huge. Jesus, when he spoke about going from the kingdom of this world into the kingdom of God, he said, you take up your cross every day and you follow me. Every day you will take up your cross and follow me. As we move through the gospel of John, Jesus begins to explain what it's like to go from the kingdom of this world to the kingdom of God. And in John 3, Jesus tells Nicodemus, a religious leader, that a person is not able to see or enter the kingdom of God unless they are born again or born of the Spirit. You can't see it, you can't get into it. You can't enter it. You see, going from the kingdom of death to life and darkness to light, from the kingdom of this world into the kingdom of God, it's not behavior modification. It's not learning a new moral or ethic. It's not some philosophical equation. It is a spiritual transformation is what it is. And in John 14, 15 through 20, Jesus explains in depth what he was referencing to Nicodemus in John 3. Here we go. Jesus says, if you love me, keep my commandments, and I will ask the Father, and he will give you another advocate to help you and be with you forever, the spirit of truth. 
The world can't accept him. Those that want to be in the kingdom of this world, they cannot accept him because it neither sees him nor knows him. But you know him, for he lives with you and will be in you. I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. And before long, the world will not see me anymore, but you will see me. Because I live, you also will live. And on that day, you will realize that I am in my Father, and you are in me, and I am in you. You see, Jesus teaches that the Holy Spirit is a person who lives with and in you and reveals God the Father to us. The transition from the kingdom of death to the kingdom of life is one that Jesus calls us into, but thank God the Spirit of God is there to help us. And what does it look like to put feet to my faith in this transition? What does it literally look like? Well, Jesus tells us in John 15, 9 through 17. And the truth of it is, what you would somehow expect is that all of this stuff that Jesus is building up to in the book of John, it would be something incredible. It would be something massive and dramatic. It would be something that, man, from 30,000 feet would just literally look earth-shattering. It would be kind of like amassing an army or amassing wealth or getting all the political and strategic power of some country. Isn't that what Jesus would call us to. And in John 15, he lays it out. This is what it looks like to go from the kingdom of the world to the kingdom of God, to go from death to life, from darkness to light, and to become a citizen in the kingdom of heaven. Here's what it looks like. John 15, 9. As the Father has loved me, so I loved you. Now remain in my love. If you keep my commandments, which is another way of saying if you live out my teachings, you will remain in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commands and remain in him. I have told you this so that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be complete. My command is this, love each other as I have loved you. Greater love is no one than this, to lay down one's life for one's friends. You are my friends if you do what I command. I no longer call you servants because the servant does not know his master's business. Instead, I have called you friends for everything that I learned from my father I've made known to you. You didn't choose me, but I chose you and appointed you to go and bear fruit, fruit that will last And so that whatever you ask in my name, the Father will give you. This is my command, love each other. By the way, on the surface, that sounds a lot easier than amassing wealth for some agenda, political power for some, a military, whatever, until you actually try to do it, to truly love the way Jesus is loved. You see, we are a biblically-based, relationally-driven, spirit-led church. And what does it look like to put feet to your faith with this very simple journey through the Gospel of John? Well, it looks a lot like table groups. You see, for the past six weeks, groups of people have gathered with neighbors and friends 
many of whom are outside of faith and are looking over at the wall at faith. And they've invited people into their homes and they've broken bread and they've eaten a meal together and watch a video of me, which I apologize for. But that was part of the process of the discipleship where we looked at parables about the kingdom. But you see, it's interesting to note that Jesus did the exact same thing. He went around healing and doing miracles. He raised people from the dead. And he brought people with him. Those that said yes to come and see, follow me, he took them with him. And there were 12 of those that took the journey, among 72 and then 120. And, but there were 12 in the middle of it all. And one of them was part of killing him. But you see, what we discover is Jesus, in the moment that he said he'd been looking forward to, to do with them for three and a half years, was a table group. The text teaches us in Matthew 26 and following. The scripture says, so the disciples did as Jesus had directed them and prepared the Passover. And while they were eating, Jesus took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, this is my body, which is for you. Take and eat it. And then he took a cup. And when he had given thanks, he gave it to them saying, drink from it, all of you. This is the blood of, this is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. I tell you, I will not eat from this fruit of the vine from now on until that day when I drink it new with you in my Father's kingdom. When they had sung a hymn, they went out to the Mount of Olives. You see, Jesus, at the end of saying, come and see, follow me, he brings them to this table, the same table you and I are at now, the same one. And we hold the bread and the cup. And we gather with those original disciples along with the billions of disciples who have gathered at this table down through the millennia. And we hold again the bread and the cup. Come and see. Follow me. Would you stand with me? As we hold the bread and the cup, If anyone who has not been served and you would like to be served, raise your hand really high. We have ushers that are prepared. So if we could grab the elements and come forward, we have a few up at the front. There's some up in the balcony as well. Just keep your hand raised until you are served. Let's close our eyes in God's presence. Come and see. Follow me. And we end up at this table. And we hold the bread and the cup. And the text says that Jesus took the bread and broke it and said, this is my body, which is broken for you. There's no greater love than this than someone would lay down their life for their friends. 
Jesus calls us friends. Jesus, thank you. Thank you for your utter and total commitment to the kingdom of God. Thank you that all over this sanctuary and those worshiping online are hearing again the call to come and see, to follow me. Jesus, as we hold this bread, we say thank you. Thank you for your shed blood that truly does forgive and cover our sin. Let's eat together. In the same way, after supper, Jesus took the cup. And after blessing it, he said, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Let's hold the cup up before the Lord. Jesus, thank you. Thank you for your broken body and your shed blood. Thank you that to come and see and to follow me brings us to this moment again. Maybe for the first time. Maybe for the thousandth time. But again, as we have eaten of the body, we prepare to drink of the cup. We thank you for what you have done for us. Thank you for ushering in the kingdom of God. Thank you that we have heard your voice to come and see and to follow you. Let's drink together. Let's take a moment and close our eyes in God's presence. 